You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Is the Turkish crime family for real with its threats to wipe iPhones remotely? WikiLeaks grumbles that it has few takers for its Vault 7 bugs. Germany raises its state of cyber alert pre-election. The U.S. expects more Russian cyber and influence operations. Fears of a cyber Pearl Harbor may distract from real ICS risks. And no, Martians haven't landed in New Jersey. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 21st, 2017. A group calling itself the Turkish crime family claims to have contacted Apple with a ransom demand. If Cupertino doesn't pay them either $75,000, Bitcoin or Ethereum cryptocurrency, or $100,000 in iTunes gift cards, they will remotely wipe millions of iPhones and iCloud accounts. The deadline for payment is April 7th. It's unclear whether the threat is real or even whether the Turkish crime family has actually communicated with Apple. This may well be a case of skids crowing large, but it should also serve as a timely reminder of the importance of securing your iOS devices and iCloud accounts. South Korea reports stepped-up cyber attacks on its military networks, probably an unsurprising development given that they coincide with U.S.-South Korean military exercises. WikiLeaks' Julian Assange says, in effect, that companies who decline his disclosure of exploitable bugs, allegedly from CIA files, are stooges for the U.S. intelligence community. That seems unfair, but on the other hand, Mr. Assange knows he's hardly flavor of the month in Langley or Laurel, and the IC certainly discourages anyone from having to do with him. Germany raises pre-election cyber alert levels to prepare for Russian cyber and information campaigns. The U.S. FBI warns that more Russian attempts to influence U.S. elections should be expected. The Bureau continues investigating possible contacts between Trump campaign officials and Russia. FBI Director Comey's testimony to Congress confirmed that the Bureau is convinced Russian intelligence services were involved in hacking the Democratic National Committee. What's surprising is not so much that the Russians would have wanted to do so, but that they were so noisy about it. We heard from Fidelis Cybersecurity Threat Systems Manager John Bambanek, who calls this, quote, classic power projection. In effect, they're sending the message that if they can do this to the U.S., they can approach smaller countries and say, in effect, nice election you got there. Shame if anything happened to it. As Bambanek put it, quote, the true damage of the hacking hasn't been its impact on the election, as there is little to indicate it had any impact on the final vote count. The real impact is the harm and destabilization we continue to bring upon ourselves. A U.S. that is consumed with bitter infighting and openly questions the legitimacy of its own institutions is dramatically less able to curtail Russia's geopolitical ambitions. That is exactly what they want. 
Russia's Alpha Bank has asked U.S. law enforcement for help with what it says are false signs of contact between itself and the Trump Organization. Alpha Bank says it has observed multiple domain name server requests, that is DNS requests, mostly using U.S. server providers to a Trump Organization server. The bank says the requests were spoofed to make it appear that they originated from Alpha Bank and were intended to give a false impression that Alpha Bank had some sort of relationship with the Trump Organization. They also say they believe the attacks were launched from a botnet. Mandiant, a division of FireEye, recently released their 2017 M-Trends report on breaches and cyber attacks. Ronald Bushar is Mandiant's vice president of global government services, and he gave us an overview of what they gathered. We've seen a rapid rise in both the sophistication and the, the volume of financially motivated criminal actor groups. We're actually stating in our, in our latest analysis that in some cases, financial actors are as sophisticated or in some, case, in some cases even more sophisticated than government or intelligence agency capabilities. We've also seen a shift from what we used to term smash and grab, which was very kind of visible, direct theft of financial data that could easily be monetized to a, a shift in tactics that uh, is focused on uh, either direct ransom of information or theft of information for purposes of extortion. So kind of a, a secondary, if you will, attack vector that is um, extremely successful in a lot of scenarios. Organizations are often motivated to to pay a relatively small ransom to get their either their information back or to to avoid the possibility of a public disclosure. And it eases the burden, so to speak, on the attackers. They don't have to necessarily find the crown jewel information in the organization. They just have to find any information that is, is somehow valuable to the business, and they can monetize that very rapidly. So that's certainly something a trend we've seen kind of globally. We've seen a, a, an enormous rise in targeting, obviously, in, in Asia, Pacific region, especially around um, more sophisticated actors targeting the back-end banking infrastructure as well. So looking for those very large paydays with attacks against you know, the financial um, transaction back-end, things like SWIFT, et cetera. So there's kind of a combination of what I would deem the front-end attack that is rapidly monetizing infra, um, data um, from a ransom perspective, and then the more sophisticated back-end attack vectors that are really trying to compromise the infrastructure of banking and global financial services. Another trend we're, we've seen, which is actually a positive trend, is organizations, and, and it might be correlated to the shift in tactics, but we've seen a, a very significant decline in the amount of time it takes organizations to detect an attack. So, we're, we, And we've seen this trend over the past four or five years of our reporting. So it used to be more than a half a year of, of uh, time between compromise and detection. We're now down to uh, 79 days on average in the latest report, which really, you know, it speaks to, it's still too long, but it's much, much improved compared to years past. Now, again, I, we, we attribute some of that to the relative investment and sophistication of cyber defense capabilities uh, in global, especially global companies um, and organizations that are really focusing on cybersecurity as a business risk and, and investing more dollars, resources, and time and effort in securing their infrastructure. But we're also, I think, attributing some of that decline to the fact that threat actors are really starting to become less concerned with how long they can stay in an environment and more concerned with how fast can they get information, get access to it, and monetize it in some way. Again, especially on the financial threat actor side of the house. That's Ron Bouchard from Mandiant. You can find the entire M-Trends report on their website.
Looking at our CyberWire event tracker, a quick note on some upcoming events worth your attention. Tomorrow, ThreatConnect is holding a webinar on tailoring threat intelligence to fit an organization's needs. A week from this Thursday, on March 30th, the second annual Billington International Cybersecurity Summit will meet in Washington. And on April 6th and May 5th, senior executives will meet in Atlanta and Dallas, respectively, for the Cybersecurity Summit. And you can see the CyberWire website for discount registration. Researchers have been looking at threats to infrastructure, and some of those threats might exploit old code written years ago in COBOL. While they acknowledge that the much-talked-about cyber Pearl Harbor is at least a theoretical future possibility, concern about a Pearl Harbor shouldn't blind security officers and operators to an immediate, very real threat, targeted attacks against industrial control systems. Those have happened and do happen, and while they may be more limited in their effects than the continent-wide bolt from the blue people fear, they're serious, they're dangerous, and they're here today. In his unfettered blog at Control Global, Joe Weiss identifies 18 countries that have sustained targeted attacks on control systems. Finally, you do all know that the Cyber 912 event held this past Friday and Saturday was a competition for student teams, not something that actually happened, and that the exercise scenario that posited a 2018 cyber conflict between the U.S. and China was fictitious, that there's no imminent cyber war prompted by hacking back, that there are no cyber letters of mark and reprisal. We feel a need to say these things again, since some reaction to our accounts of the Atlantic Council's well-conducted event made us feel like Orson Welles in the Mercury Theater of the Air dramatizing the War of the Worlds. And no, should you YouTube over to the Mercury Theater, Martian cylinders have not landed in New Jersey either. We're reliably informed that New Jersey remains Martian-free. Now that we're clear that all this was an exercise, we note again how rich and well-structured the scenario was, and how effective it exhibited the risk of escalation through misunderstandings, incomplete information, and unintended consequences. But please do remember, it was, as Gilbert and Sullivan wrote, merely corroborative detail intended to give artistic verisimilitude to an otherwise bald and unconvincing narrative. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. 
Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Jonathan Katz. He's a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and also director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. Uh, Jonathan, welcome back. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, this recent story that came by about a SHA-1 collision being found. Yeah, this was certainly very big news. Uh, in some sense, it wasn't very much of a surprise because the cryptographic community had, had known for a while that SHA-1 was uh, in principle uh, weak and that there were better ways to find collisions than a pure brute force attack. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it was still considered to be uh, quite difficult to, to actually go ahead and find that collision. And what these researchers had done uh, is actually use uh, both algorithmic improvements uh, as well as the computational power available to them at Google to go ahead and carry out the attack and find a collision. So what, what were some of the, the, uh, the technical details behind this, that, as a cryptographer, that caught your eye? Well, a couple of things. I mean, like I said, first of all, um, there was prior work showing uh, the these theoretical vulnerabilities in SHA-1, and what these researchers had done was uh, improve on those and uh, reduce the cost of the attack further. And then to me, it was really just impressive to see the amount of computational power uh, that was available that they were able to harness at Google. Those are the listeners who are more technically minded. Uh, they basically carried out about 2 to the 63 uh, SHA-1 uh, invocations. So that's, you know, an amount of work that for a while was considered at the edge of practicality, and I guess maybe still might be considered at the edge of practicality, but you can see that somebody or, or an organization with the resources of Google is able to carry out that much amount of, uh, of work to do an attack. Yeah, 2 to the 63, 2 to the 64, whatever it takes, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, SHA-1 has been, uh, has been you know, deprecated, uh, and certainly uh, the word has been out for a while that people who are using it need to move on to SHA-2, but it seems like uh, there's still plenty of instances where it's sort of uh, hanging around and lurking out there uh, on the web. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, this is going to be, again, a, a wake-up call for people. Uh, you know, it's not something which is going to have impact immediately. So the fact that these researchers have found a collision uh, doesn't mean that these protocols using SHA-1 all of a sudden overnight become insecure. But it's, again, another warning that they really do need to start actively migrating away from SHA-1 to the alternatives uh, like SHA-2 or even SHA-3, the recently standardized hash function. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.